Welcome to SaaS Backstage. I'm your host Nishant Goyal and with co-host Vishal Rivari on this podcast we go behind the curtains talking to people who built and grew SaaS companies from ground up. Today our guest is Daniel Pavlyuchkov, head of product growth at Veed.io, a video editing SaaS company and founder of Product Universe, a one-on-one coaching and keynote platform for budding product leaders. Along with managing these two heavy responsibilities, he is also the host of Top Tier Product Podcast and holds advisor role at multiple startups focusing on product growth. Being in a SaaS company, you should always expect the unexpected and look for ways to get even more value out of the existing setup. And good product management practices are the foundation to it. So, let's get started for the today's episode. With Daniel Pavlyuchkov. Welcome, Daniel, to SaaS Backstage. Thank you for spending our time with us and joining us from Berlin. Absolutely. It's uh, my honor to be on your podcast. So, thank you for having me. Getting started with a round of questions that we have for you. Like, you have been doing so much over the last 15 years on the product side. You have been involved directly or indirectly with product. Uh, so, can you tell me, like, how would you explain product adoption or product growth to a five-year-old kid? So by product adoption, we usually mean product market fit. And when I explain it to people outside of the industry, I said that the value that you get or the benefit that you get from the product is higher than the effort you need to invest to get this value. And this effort could be monetary in terms of pricing. It could be physical in terms of clicking. It could be mental in terms of calculating things, but if the value is higher than the effort, you have product market fit and you're going to go and reach the product adoption eventually. That's an interesting perspective. Never heard anyone talking about this, like very interesting perspective. So, but can you tell me like how you got to this observation? If the effort less than the value, like what led you to this observation? I guess that was my experience and like a lot of interaction with research people. When I would want to build something, we we create a prototype and we show it to users and we ask, hey, what do you think about it? And I always observe that there are people who immediately get it and they say, oh, I like it. It's helpful. It saves me time. And they start using that. And for me, those were like code words that indicated that there is some kind of value that is always connected to the problem that they have. And yeah, the product is helping them. And there was also a group of people who said like, I don't get it. I don't like it. It's useless. And I don't want to spend time. It's too complicated and so on. And it was the other side of the picture. And it was for people that showed that there is not enough value. And they always, when they described, the customers themselves described it, they always used things that are connected to effort or time, convenience, value. And I know at some point it just, connected in my head and said, yeah, probably value and effort are two key variables when you're talking about product adoption and product success. I am going to remember this definition, right? Like I'm just going to remember this. This is my next favorite definition of a product market fit. Thank you, Daniel, for sharing that. So can you tell me like who is responsible for product adoption in a company? Like, is it the product team or is it like anyone else? It's usually a complex question and you should 
start solving it from multiple directions. First of all, this product should get in front of the customers that have this problem and they would benefit from this value and they need. And it's a question of awareness. That could be solved by a marketing team, by sales team, by very good SEO team or content team or anyone who is working in the let's say acquisition space. So that's definitely a necessary component. So people should know that your product exists. And then once they start using it, the most impact is driven by the product team and product managers who said who need to create a product in a way that is actually helpful, easy to understand. And the first time experience is like meeting a person and you know, laugh from first sight. This is what you need to create in the onboarding space. You need to, once you get the customer, you need them to understand, wow, this is so incredible. I've been waiting for this product. It saves my life. I want it, I will use it every day. And this is the kind of feeling or emotion or impression you want to deliver. And that's mostly on the product team. That could be product managers, engineers, designers, data people eventually help because you need to experiment. Researchers help because you need to talk to customers. And in the end, it's a very, very cross-functional effort. And usually functions outside of product also contribute a lot to that. So over the last 10 years, how do you see like, how has the product adoption, retention, and membership has evolved? Like you, you have been involved over the last ten years doing different kind of products, B two C, B two B, edtechs, and all. So, how do you see like membership and retention has evolved? I would say that in general, we see a trend that product becomes very central in technology companies and in startups, and even when the the value itself is not the software. Let's say Slack is just a pure software and that's the product. Um, Spotify is a product as well, but it enables something. It enables access to music. If you talk about delivery and like food delivery, also the product is there and it enables the, the delivery service itself. The product, the software doesn't bring the value. It just makes it very easy to get value. So we see this trend that more and more companies, especially from traditional services, start to use product to simplify their value delivery. And that is being ongoing for some years in many different industries, from finance to logistics to insurances, medical, and so on. And in the end, those teams and companies who can deliver the best experience and have the best retention, they're just winning the market. And there is no question that like Netflix is the most successful entertainment company online because they have the best retention. Same goes for Slack for Spotify, for TransferWise, and many, many other companies. They all solved the question of how to keep people engaged and how to retain them over time. Who is doing that is capturing the majority of the market. All right. All right. Wow, that's really interesting. So I got this question. What are the learnings out of these that you can really just take as is from B2C into directly B2B? and can also be used for SaaS products. So in B2C, you usually achieve retention with different mechanics, like let's say best practices. You can achieve it with a social and community functionality. You can achieve it with personalization. And with personalization, the system is learning how you behave and what you need. And that's for B2C. In B2B, you're flipping the coin. In B2B, the user has to learn the system more and more so that they can become a masters of that system and really professional because what really works well in B2B for retention 
is that you develop a skill with this particular software. And because of that skill, you become very efficient. That could be through learning hotkeys or through understanding quick navigation between different things or being very like flexible and like knowing your way around basically. So in B2B, it's very tricky because you need to have easy experience, but also it should have a lot of depth. So people who use it every day, they become really professional with it. And it's, it's like a vendor lock-in, but it's your skill lock-in. So that works really well from retention. And when in B2C, the software needs to learn you, in B2B, you need to learn the software. And if you do that, the retention starts to increase. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, that brings me to another question. As you explained, how to build retention and what are the challenges? Now, the question is, how do I know that my activities are giving the desired results? Now, there are lag indicators that are matrices you see at end of the month or end of the year. Are there any lead indicators or something that you can see earlier and work on it? Retention is always lagging by itself. So if you take monthly retention, it's already quite slow for a lot of teams. And especially in B2C, you need to be able to get results within days or weeks. So retention is always connected to the value delivery. And like everything about product is about the value itself. If you deliver enough value repetitively over time, you will going to have good retention. If the value starts to disappear or decrease, people will go, move away to something else. So it's a game of bringing value. And if retention is a lagging indicator, a leading indicator could be the number of valuable actions. So for Slack, that would be number of messages a person is sending per day. For Facebook, it could be number of friends that you're adding in the network. And for Netflix, it could be I don't know number of titles that you upvote or downvote. So you invest into the value, into this personalization algorithm. So you can find those actions that are leading to value delivery and measure them. And they would be your leading indicator and you will immediately see the effect. If you have a software that is more like SaaS about invoicing, you can count the number of invoices that the company is issuing or receiving as payment. And same for payment gateways, the number of transactions that go is the level of activity it's a level of value delivery it's a level of retention eventually so they will always be a proxy metric towards a very lagging retention itself so this is more of like a general product based question or the next one like what is something that everyone in the product uh, industry should product digital product industry should should actually start doing according to you Oh, you should start realizing that you're not the customer of your product and your customers are very different from you because people who are building products, they work in the digital space. Often they work in startups. They're very smart and quick with technology and they've been doing it for many years. They know about design and convenience and so on. And that's you as a professional. And if you're building a product for someone else, they're not like you. They're not working in technology. They're not working in startup. They might confuse back button and submit button because they are not so good with technology. And the best thing, and I would really recommend every product manager to start that, is to forget the perspective that, oh, I think it's going to work well. Or like, that is what I would be using. Because very often, you're not the end customer. And they have different needs and different limitations as well. And we often forget about those limitations. So always assume that you're not the customer 
and actually test your ideas and features and designs with the customer through research, prototypes, or any other method that you have available. Got it. Okay. Wow, that's a very, very important statement. Do not assume you are the target customer. Yeah, I mean, I work at Tier full-time. It's a B2C company. We have several million customers who are riding our vehicles. It's electric scooters for rent. And of course, when you have a million people, they, they cannot be a million people from IT companies. Like we have grandmas, mm-hmm. we have people who are students and they're 20 years old. We have unemployed. We have very, I know, people with good income. We have doctors and lawyers and all of them are super, super different. And it can't be the same experience and my experience in my worldview for them as well. Yeah, so true. So Daniel, uh, this might be uh, something out of the flu. But if someone wants to start a career in product management, then what is one advice that you would give to them so as to kickstart their career? I think that product management in general is a very good second career. So I switched there from engineering and technology. And I know a lot of people who did the same and who switched from design, for example, or from QA, from marketing, from customer support and so on. So it's a very good second career. It's quite tricky as a first career choice. I would recommend to um, start building peer connection and the network inside the company because product manager is never doing the work alone. And most of the time is not doing the work with their own hands, like actually producing code or doing designs. Product managers make things click from many different components. And that would be engineering, design, copy, translations, pricing, marketing, and how to support this and so on. Like all of those is different, like five, six components that is being delivered by five or six different people. And the best thing you can do in product management is to learn how to be very nice to people, how to support them and how to connect the work together because the majority of the work is going to be done not by you. So product managers is a very social position. And in this role, you really need to invest into your peer relationship and internal networking because without it, you're not going to be successful. So that would be my advice to aspiring product managers. Wow. So basically, the role of a product manager is managing other managers while using your field-specific knowledge. Kind of. Because product managers, the best setup that we have right now in the industry is working in a cross-functional team. And a product manager is usually a leader of that team. And you would have three to four engineers, a designer, maybe an analyst, a researcher. And it's a group of seven, eight people who will not report to you directly. So you will not know their salary. You will not talk about their promotions or approved vacations, but you tell them what to do. And it's indirect leadership. That's very tricky. And you cannot just tell them what to do. They have to agree with you that this is what we should be all doing as a team. And this informal leadership is quite tricky, especially if you're just out of the university, is that you don't have this strength of a character to be that kind of leader. So it takes time to develop. But PMs definitely connect a lot of different people without managing them directly, but leading them nonetheless. And it's a very interesting phenomenon. Okay. Uh, I just recall that your first few episodes are actually on servant leadership and thought leadership. Is that the reason behind it? Well, actually, when I had my podcast, I didn't know who to interview. So my first guest was my manager and we just picked the topic together. And my second guest was my good friend from work. So we also picked the topic together. 
and then just went to people who would say yes to being my podcast guest and then we'd come up with a topic together so it's not really connected at all okay all right that, that's such a truthful answer that's how my first podcast first started people who said yes and yes right yeah so, <laughs> so yeah yeah i Daniel, you have been working on onboarding and retention problems since long, specifically in the B two C segment. Can you tell us a little bit more about like how did you approach that problem? What steps you took to solve that problem? What was the learnings on those regards, specifically from the B two C segment that you have seen here? Yeah, I think for onboarding, it's really important to understand if you're building an app that. people already know what it is like a music player you don't really need to invent a lot or if you're building something very unique maybe a tool to manage your finances and because of that your experience will be different either people who come to you will pretty much know what they're going to be expecting like you will not surprise anyone with a calendar or with an email so their onboarding is super simple you just throw them into the app and tells yeah good luck but if you're building something innovative you really need to understand where they are coming from how much time they have to get into your product and how motivated they are because if they don't have a lot of time and they just have a phone and it's a lunch break they maybe have 3 to 4 minutes to understand your product and that onboarding experience should fit this 3 to 4 minutes if we're talking about b2b or saas that's usually a different intent and motivation level people and companies spend a lot of time researching software and usually you have much more time to showcase maybe you have a demo call with a salesperson or there's like a big tutorial or a video and you might be lucky enough to have 10 to 15 minutes of your customer's time to get this onboarding done properly so what we learned is to start from understanding how much time they have where are they right now are they just browsing for solution or are they actually solving a problem that they have in front of them right now starting from that you kind of understand what should be showed first what should be the first app experience or the software experience and from that you start to build up onboarding and anyway the best onboarding is like you gradually help them get to a place and time that have everything needed for productive work that's the end goal of onboarding and it might take 3 minutes it take several days could be one session could be several interactions but you need to eventually give them a configured product and maybe in b2c that is configured by default because it's a standard experience for everyone in b2b it's usually slightly different like hey create first company then create first invoice now connect your payment you do the three actions and onboarding is done you have your dashboard ready something like that got it quite a distinction between these two it takes you by surprise when you have not thought about it but once you start thinking in this direction it makes total sense absolutely and a lot of people they work so hard and so much they finish the project and they rush to start a new one they just don't have time for anything else and i think product managers like my second advice would be to actually slow down and take breaks and start to think about okay what am i actually doing why am i doing that for whom am i doing that and what's the final goal that i want to achieve because it's not about just delivering features it's about delivering an experience that is easy and convenient and helpful and taking a break to think about it might give you really interesting deep answers 
Yeah, Art. I've seen that happen many a times. People get so involved in features and add-ons that they lose sight of what's the final experience they want to provide. What's the result? What's the goal of their offering? So this is really something. Yes, a lot of people can use. Okay. Yeah, it's you know also another insight that I recognized at some point in my career that the best situation a product manager could be is when they don't know what to do next. Because if you don't know and nobody tells you, you have to talk to your customer and they will tell you what to do next. Because this feature after feature is very easy because you know what to do. You do this and then there's a next task and then the next one and the next one. You just continue. It's super easy. Everything is well-defined and that's very dangerous. The best position for PMs is when you don't know what to do next and you have to figure that out and actually talk to the customers, look at the data, make research and then come up with a vision. Then you're going to get good results. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Now we are like done with the serious questions. Now we go to the some uh, funny questions. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> okay, now this is this is one like proper product product question. So, how would you design a spice rack for the blind? Oh, so most likely those would be people who are cooking at home and. So you need to set up the spice rack first. You probably, after that, you're going to remember where are the spices because if you're always using your senses, you put the things back to where they are. Like, you know, when you have eyesight, you just cook and you leave everything on the table and then you clean. When you're a blind person, you're not behaving like that. You take it somewhere and then you put it back to the same place because otherwise you will not be able to find it and recognize. So I think for the spice rack for blind people should have some kind of indication like so it should be easy i don't know to grab things there and i don't know if you leave it open so you can always taste it with your finger what spice it is exactly if you forget it for some reason i know it should be straightforward and stable because the last thing you want is for them to tip over and all the spices are out like it's impossible to clean so i think it should be quite a um, let's say heavy construction trying to like to be stable and open enough and easy to grab and use maybe Another interesting option could be, again, like I need to test with blind people. I don't really know. I'm, I'm the worst. Cust- I'm not the customer of this blind spice rack, you know? So our hypothetical experiment is very, very theoretical. I would try to do something like, you know, you need to push a button and then you get one dose because if you're blind, you don't really know how much spice you're grabbing. That, and that gave me an idea. Like put an audio place in between Alexa, get me the spice and that's it. <laughs> yeah, it could be audio control. <laughs> I need seriously, guys. Like Alexa, I need two grams of curry, and you, yeah, you get it. That's it. Yeah, I mean, let let Shoot. Alexa figure it out. Let let, let uh, we can create all those uh, skills in Alexa and just have that super rat. That that can be one thing. Yeah, I mean, Ele- your, Alexa is I anyways. Your your yeah. thing gave gave us an idea, like. Okay, this is how, like, you can... Okay, let's do it. We're going to get rich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Jeff Bezos is going to get rich. We are building on Alexa. <laughs> He's already rich. <laughs> All right. All right. So, but let's do this. Let's, let's, uh, let's... Yeah, let's, totally. Uh, let's, uh, let's try to um, do, do something and around this. Maybe we can we can do it in one of your sessions in the next cohort and we can like do workshops around this. Like how would you design uh in, yeah. in about the product we can we can design ahead of the product, sorry, and have a have a workshop on like how would you design this thing and let's see how many 
come up with with that solution yeah but definitely the best first step is just to get five blind people in the room and start asking them hey how do you cook yeah. how do you spice your food and they will tell you maybe they already found a solution most Tomato. likely <laughs> most likely they have found the solution zomato food <laughs> delivery Okay, uh, is Zomato over there? Zomato, but no, okay. no, I didn't no. recognize the brand, but <laughs> okay. I understand right. the joke. <laughs> it's food delivery app. It's a yeah. food delivery yeah. app, so, so they might have found found somewhere. Okay, all right. So coming coming on to uh, this thing, uh, another one. If you could eat anything you wanted without getting fat, what would that be? <laughs> okay, it's a it's a serious question. I have only Baby. one try and it's made a good one. It's a question like what can I eat and not get bored from eating that? Yeah. yeah. As well. That's a that's a good yeah. way to phrase it. That's a good not way to phrase it. Not get ill, not get fat. I probably going to be eating uh tempura seafood or vegetables because that's okay. just delicious and it's super fatty and <laughs> if I will never get fat from that, it would be so great. Okay. Awesome. Anything in tempura. All right. Okay. If you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose? Oh, I would definitely go for Alexander the Great. He was this ancient Greek <laughs> uh, general, and he was so crazy. He wanted to reach the ocean, and he conquered half of the continent from Greece to towards India as well and on his way he named like 40 cities Alexandria after himself he had such an incredible ego I don't know with whom to compare it probably a few technological entrepreneurs come to mind let's not name them but I really would like to talk to this person like how crazy were you like why did you do that what drove you it's how how does it work like that when you have an army and you march towards somewhere because you want to reach an ocean like I would really be interested to understand what drove this person. Mm, interesting. I think he was a doer, not a thinker. He's like, I'll go, I'll find ocean somewhere. Maybe, maybe. I was like, hey, can you give me an advice how to be a doer? <laughs> Daniel, you have been working so hard for the last fifteen years, like starting as in software development, then getting achieving so much things in life, like getting on the head of product, starting your own cohort, uh, starting your own company, working with so many people and achieving so many things. While you were achieving so many things, did you ever thought like you would have a chance to come onto this podcast? Oh, no, that was, a, <laughs> you know, completely unexpected. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm almost done. So next, what we would do is like we would do fast five, which Nishant Nishant would do. We would do fast five. You don't have to think. Uh, you just have to like give us whatever comes in your mind the first. Are you up for it? Yes. Let's do that. <laughs> let's do that. Okay. All right. Ready? Go. Okay. What's your favorite food? Tempura, obviously. <laughs> okay. What's your favorite memory? Memory? Um, I think when I first bought my first motorcycle. Oh. Wow. And celebrated it then. I got pretty drunk at that time. Okay. <laughs> now that's a good memory. What is one thing you are most grateful for? It's definitely meeting my wife and actually 
building a relationship and a marriage. That's the the biggest one so far. Wow, romantic. Who is one person you cannot live without? My guess is her as well. What are you doing when you're not working? I'm playing mobile games and sometimes like going out and doing sports. Okay, awesome. Sports. Where do you get time for it? <laughs> yeah, like when I have a lunch break he, he or in said, the evening, I mean, said, no? on the weekends he, as well. So no, I'm he, I'm normal person. I don't work that much. He he said, "No, I don't work more than 40 hours in a week." <laughs> when he started, yeah. But he has a big job, then courts, then yeah, consultations, yeah. then podcasts. Yeah. So he said, he said like he doesn't work more than uh, that time. Yeah. He's a superhuman. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, one final question. So, Daniel, where can our listeners find you online? Best way would be to reach me on LinkedIn. I'm the only person with my name, and if you could link me in the description, <laughs> I always reply to people when they connect and leave something meaningful as a message. And I'm happy to get in touch with the listeners as well. Got it. All right. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Daniel, for taking our time. Hope it was fun for you. We enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I had a lot of fun as well. You guys are super energized and I like your questions and the energy that comes to you. So, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. This was our conversation with Daniel and I hope you had some interesting takeaways and learnings. If you're looking for more such growth stories and how-tos, come back to SaaS Backstage, hop on the next or the previous episode and be sure to share your learnings or share with us whom and we'll be happy to bring in the guests you want and pick their brains asking the questions you want answers to till next time